It's good to be here this morning. It's good to be here. Um, I thought at first when I was wearing this, maybe I've gotten to be that old. I'm not sure, but uh, no, I'm good to to sing that kind of worship. Oh my goodness! Last week I was wondering about what I was going to say this week. My subject, I'm, I know that's shocking to you. <laughs> My subject is uh, overcoming persecution and the significance of that. Um, so last Wednesday, early in the morning, I was texting with one of our global partners in North Africa and just texted and said, hey, I'm thinking about you, looking forward to talking to you next week, which would have been yesterday. And he texted right back, said, that sounds good. And uh, by the way... Uh, Please be thinking, meaning praying, please be thinking of us right now because we're sitting in the police station waiting to talk with our whole family to the head guy. Okay, I'll pray. I had class, taught classes Wednesday morning, and after my last class, uh, out on the lawn here in front of the missions building, we, I went inside and I looked at my phone, it was lit up, like 19 messages had come to wait in myself. And uh, the result of it all was is that uh, they were told they had 15 days to get out of the country. And they were being kicked out. That's happening right now. Those 15 days will be up a week from Thursday. They're there helping the people that they serve with physically handicapped children. They're speaking and living out the love of Jesus in specific ways. They are speaking of Jesus and have seen people come to Jesus. They are doing what I think Jesus would do if he wandered into a village like the one where they live and there was no knowledge of him and no understanding of the kingdom whatsoever. What would Jesus do when he sees children in need and people with no understanding of what's going to happen after they die? Well, you guys already know that acting like Jesus can cause problems. Two years ago, when Wade and I, our phones lit up, another situation, different partners, but people were being shot. People that our partners knew very well, friends, being shot while they waited in line to go into the hospital where they served and give free medical care to anyone who needs it. That was kind of the, well, it was a part of the story. It got worse because... A little later, uh, a taxi pulled up in front of their children's school, the place where they worshiped together, and detonated itself, blew the walls over the house across the street. Uh, The objective was that they would run in and shoot everyone that they could see, children, mothers, people, whatever. But somehow, by God's grace, somehow they became confused and couldn't find their way in and ended up that didn't happen. And I'm grateful for that, but things got more traumatic for our partners because they realized that um, they were coming after them, after their team, after them. And it wasn't long after that that they decided it might be wise to withdraw for a season, much like Paul did on occasions in the book of Acts. Both of those stories are about visiting intercultural professors that you've had here on campus in the last five years. They're all OCC alums. Most of you know who I'm talking about. 
The word for persecution is dioko. I asked Steve Hayward while we were playing golf on Thursday, which was a fun experience. <laughs> Baptized quite a few golf balls, actually. But uh, <laughs> ask him about this word, dioko, persecute. And uh, I'd been looking at it a little bit, and he said it's the idea of pursuit, of of vigorous pursuit, of it can be good things, oftentimes it's not. But as I said, does the word relentless figure into that? And he said, yeah, that's, that's a good word for it. We're in Revelation 12, if you want to be looking at the text. I'm going to be speaking it to you here in just a moment, but... We have some vivid drama in Revelation 12. We have some crazy imagery. We have, we have Dioko. Now the book of Revelation can be a bit confusing, at least the order of it for some. And I think you may know that there's several places where John literally pushes the recap button. And this is one of those places here at the start of chapter 12. And uh, the chapters that follow... It's interesting that this particular recap is set right in the center of the book. I want you to listen to the text. It should get your attention. I hope it does. Are you listening? The great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and with the moon under her feet and a crown of twelve stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. And then another sign appeared in heaven, an enormous red dragon with seven heads, ten horns, and seven crowns on its heads. Its tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to earth. Powerful beast. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that it might devour her child the moment he was born. Do. That's what it says. She gave birth to a son, a male child, who will, quote, rule the nations with an iron scepter, straight out of Psalm 2. And her child was snatched up to God and to his throne. The woman fled into the wilderness to a place prepared for her by God where she might be taken care of for 1,260 days. And then war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon. The dragon and his angels fought back. But he was not strong enough and they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down. That ancient serpent called the devil or Satan who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven say... Is this a song? I heard the loud voice say, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. They triumphed over him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Therefore rejoice, you heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to the earth and to the sea, because the devil has gone down to you. And he is filled with fury because he knows that his time is short. When the, devil, when, when the dragon saw that he had been hurled to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. The woman was given the two wings of a great eagle. Heavens to Exodus 19. So that she might fly to the place prepared for her in the wilderness, where she would be taken care of for a time, times and half a time, and out of the serpent's reach. Then from his mouth the serpent spewed water like a river to overtake the woman and sweep her away with a torrent. But the earth helped the woman by opening its mouth and swallowing the river that the dragon had spewed out of its mouth. 
Okay, listen. Then the dragon was enraged at the woman and went off to wage war against the rest of her offspring, those who keep God's commands and hold fast their testimony about Jesus. Word of the Lord. Angry dragon. Reminds me of something. Kind of like this. That imagery as a dragon flies off to Lake Town to assault the humans there is a vivid depiction of an angry dragon. It shouldn't be surprising to you. You know, Tolkien was a staunch Catholic who actually saw his close friend C.S. Lewis come to Christ. In the text, we have war in heaven, we have war on earth, and we have some very important information, things I think are important to you, and I hope they're helpful to you this morning. We have an enemy who is pursuing us. Who is he? Here in this text, we learn more about Satan than any other place in Scripture. We've learned his names. We learn his character. We learn his activity. Obviously and clearly here, he's called the dragon. The main character in chapter 12 and what follows is the drama of evil that unfolds with this dragon in the center of that. He is big and he is scary and he is violent. He is called the devil, translated from the Old Testament word shed or seer, having to do with idol worship, a lot of other things, but also implicating and meaning slanderer. He is called the deceiver, the deceiver of the nations, the one who leads them astray, the very nations where Jesus calls us to go. He is called the ancient serpent. And we see the connection all the way back to Genesis 3, quite clearly in the Garden of Eden, who there, rather than accusing men before God, he's accusing God before man. And in so doing, as he always does, he is busy accusing. The same serpent's head there is, was, and will be crushed under Jesus' feet. Maybe some of you saw that over the weekend, Passion of the Christ, the Gethsemane scene, and we actually take part in that in Romans 16. More on that in a moment. And John, who wrote all this, also tells us what Jesus had to say about this character. Jesus calls him a lot of names, including murderer in John 8, 44, liar and the father of lies. There is no truth in him, Jesus said. His very language is lies. Remember that. It's very important to know, though, his best-known name, and that is Satan, which simply means accuser, the literal meaning of the word. Has God truly said? First words to a human being. Impugning the motives and character of God. It's what your enemy always does, Christian. He accuses. He accuses in every possible direction anyone that comes into view. And he accuses with a motive of destruction. He accuses because he gets the attention off of himself. He accuses. Beware of people who do nothing but accuse. Our enemy, the dragon, the devil, the deceiver, the ancient serpent, the murderer, the liar, the father of all lies, the accuser, 
he is definitely not our friend. So what is his problem? Well, for starters, he's angry. The text makes it clear here. It uses the word furious. The devil was enraged. The dragon was enraged. I can't get you, so I'll go after your children. He is nasty and mean-spirited and maniacal. He is intent on gaining the worship of whomever he can gain worship from. And his methods are worse than Machiavelli's. He has no interest. Are you listening to me? He has no interest in any human being. He uses them as tools, and I do mean tools, to accomplish his purposes. And then he throws them away like a paper cup. His time is short. His methods are the worst ones imaginable. And he is cast down to earth. And I think it means now, here. Not only is he angry, he's viciously angry. And sadly, we know too much about that, don't we? What kind of enemy kills for pleasure? What kind of enemy deliberately destroys the lives of innocent children? What kind of enemy motivates people to place bombs under benches where families are about to sit to worship God and literally kill them as happened just last week? What kind of enemy manipulates people to rape little children and then, and then reward the pimps for doing so? What kind of enemy does this kind of stuff, bad stuff, like what happened to our own brother Janice Lazarus who works here in the library and had to flee for his life when they burned his business and he and his wife came here to Joplin? What kind of enemy? I think about where they were showing us where to sleep when we were in South Sudan a long time ago, several years ago. We were sleeping in these little, these little places, little huts. And they were nice, but they were simple. And I noticed outside the hut there was a hole in the ground, like a, I don't know, a depression about this deep with rocks around the edge of it, about 15 feet, 20 feet across, and looked kind of like a sand trap with no sand in it. And I said, what, what's that? Is that, you guys play a game or something here? They said, no, that's where we go when they drop the anti-personnel bombs. You get down below ground level. I was paying attention at that point. And they said, no, it hasn't happened here for quite a long time, six months, a year. Anti-personnel bombs are a nice way of saying a murderous mass of shrapnel that's intended to maim and kill and do as much personal damage. This is personal, people. You do understand that. As much personal damage as possible. And they wait until people come out of churches and they come out of schools and come out of hospitals when there's a lot of people outside. What kind of enemy deliberately kills people who are feeding the hungry and loving the helpless? I'll tell you what kind of enemy. Your enemy, Christian. Are you listening to me? Do you hear what I'm saying? Do you hear what Scripture is exposing here? What kind of enemy? He is your enemy. It's not the Muslim. It's not the Hindu. It's not the Buddhist. not the pro-choicer. not the glad representative. Not the terrorist. Not the redneck. Not even your abusive father. Those are all to be loved into the kingdom. The deceiver was, is, and always will be your enemy. And this is serious stuff. Because not only is he angry, viciously angry, he is relentlessly angry. And this is the worst part of it all, because he just never stops. This is the meaning behind the word persecution. It means relentless pursuit. The text tells us that the dragon attempts to end the child's life by eating him. The child that is born, Jesus, is the one whom God has appointed to rule the nations. 
He was not successful in doing that. And the entire life of Jesus there is summed up in one verse, or half a verse almost. Gave birth to the male child. The child was snatched up to the heavens. Like, whoa, that's like Bethlehem to the ascension. And I said, you're missing something there. John, John would just simply say, I wrote a whole book about it. You should go read it. (laughs) And then read my little books. They're good, too. But here, the text tells us that he is cast down to earth. And specifically, the voice from heaven says, woe to you. The voice warns us. And then you see in chapter 13 and following, specifically the sea beast that arises, the earth beast that arises, and the prostitute called Babylon that rides them all. Oh, this travesty of a trinity, he never stops. He's relentless. I want you to hear me this morning, hear me well. We are at war. Spiritual warfare is not just something that pops up as some sort of oddity from now, from time to time. It is where we live. It is our address. The meaning of the word for persecution is what the dragon wanted to do to the child and couldn't. What the dragon wanted to do to the woman but couldn't. It's the very definition of what the dragon has come to do to the offspring. And this kind of relentlessness has produced thousands, no, literally millions of Christian martyrs. The very people described here in the text, those who did not shrink from death, who counted the cost, who paid the price, who understood clearly what was taking place. I said millions. Yes, as a matter of fact, I did. Seventy million in the history of the church, well over half of them in the last 100 years. These are the hall, of, the hall of Fame people, those who did not shrink back from death, those of whom, as Hebrews said, the world was not worthy. Because sometimes the enemy is blatantly overt in his relentless pursuit. He puts his cards there on the table and says, deal with it. But sometimes the enemy is often deceptively covert in what he does, hiding, masquerading, manipulating. And both of these approaches have the very same source, a relentless dioko pursuit with an intention to destroy what God has done. Okay, so here it comes. You know, there's a tension in preaching a sermon on persecution. Persecution for almost every single one of us in this room, with a few, very few exceptions, is about someone else far away, Someone that we is going through really hard things. Someone we feel very badly. Somebody we pray for. Yes, we do. And so without lessening the painful suffering that many are going through right now because of the overt actions of the enemy, I want to share something that is for everyone in this room. And I want you to remember his name. His name is Accuser. His name is Accuser. So I wonder what he's doing right now. I can tell you one thing. He has not stopped accusing. He doesn't know what else to do. It's what he does. He relentlessly pursues the children. He brings up stuff. He wounds. He fights dirty. He kills. He maims and he accuses. Do any of you deal with this? Hmm? Do any of you deal with this? The accusations of the enemy. The accusations of the enemy. I got them all right here in the big brown envelope. I know about you. I know things you've done. He throws a lot of lies in as well, but 
there's enough truth there to know, oh, this is not good. You think you're preparing for ministry? I know about you. You know what else he does? He is relentless, you know. And that snake will push on every single wound you have. He knows your story. He pushes on those wounds. He scratches with his claws at those unhealed scabs. So what do you do? I've got good news for you. You already know it. It's just that somehow we get spiritual amnesia, don't we? He comes and he brings his his lies and he brings his accusations. And we go, God, what do I do? And God says to you, go to the shredder. Go to the shredder. That's what you're to do. Caleb, where are you, brother? Go to the shredder. The shredder of God's word. You overcome him by taking it to where he is always defeated. And you go to the shredder. Caleb, help me out here. Accusations, lies, all kinds of crap. Take it to the shredder, brother. Take it to the shredder of Romans 8.1. You know how to stop this nonsense? Take a trusted person with you. And take it and throw it in the shredder of Romans 8.1. There is therefore now, N-O-W, now, right here, right now, no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Take his lies to the shredder. Take it to 2 Corinthians 5.21. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Take his accusations, his lies, and take them to the shredder. Take them to the shredder of 1 Peter 2.24. He himself bore in his body our sins on the tree that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. For by his wounds you are, present tense, healed. Take them to the shredder. So are you in or out? (laughs) Are you in Christ Jesus? If you're in Christ Jesus, go ahead and shred the envelope. Shred it all. What makes the shredder work is the truth of the gospel. That's what. What makes the shredder work is the blood of Jesus Christ. That's what. And it's it's what overcomes the one who relentlessly pursues you. Christian, this is such good news. Oh my goodness. Listen to me now. He is now, today, defeated by the blood of Jesus Christ. And furthermore, he is defeated by the blood of Jesus Christ through you. That's the most amazing thing of all. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Thanks, Caleb. So how is he defeated? He was defeated. He was thrown out of heaven. He will be defeated. You'll see it in the coming chapters. Totally destroyed. And he is now being defeated. He is defeated when we take up our cross and follow the Lamb. He is defeated when truth is spoken and his lies are shown for the foolishness that they contain. He is defeated when we go to our knees and we cry out for lost people so that God can do the work. He is defeated when the Word of God that we have hidden in our hearts is spoken into situations where people literally do not know what to do. He is defeated when we see clearly 
that what was intended for harm for you, God has used for good and the saving of many souls. He is defeated when the gospel is brought to dark places and people who have been living in darkness can see the light of the world. He is defeated when you choose love over hate and kindness over pettiness. Are you listening to me, Christian? He is defeated when he presses on your wounds and you respond instead by pointing to the wounds of Christ. He is defeated when the words of your mouth and the meditations of your heart are pleasing in the sight of your Creator and Redeemer. He is defeated when the Word of God becomes flesh in the form of the Kingdom of God whose presence fills the whole earth. He is defeated. Dimitri grew up in communist USSR where he started a church in his home, was arrested because 150 people were gathering every week to worship Jesus. And during the 17 years he spent in prison, Dimitri was tortured relentlessly in order to break him and force him to sign a confession saying that he was not a believer in Jesus. Once he signed it, he would have been free to go, but he did not. Instead, there were two disciplines that he did every day that sustained his faith. The first was every morning at dawn, he would stand at attention facing east and with hands raised would sing one of his heart songs to Jesus. The other 1,500 hardened prisoners would respond as expected by laughing and sneering and cursing and throwing food and sometimes even human ways to shut him up. But it didn't matter. Every single day, Dimitri woke up, he stood at attention, and he sang to the Lord. Worship. The other discipline was every time he found a scrap of paper, he would write as many Bible verses and stories on it as he could and would hide it in his cell as an offering to God. As soon as the paper was found, he would be beaten and threatened. One day, Dimitri found an entire blank sheet of paper, and God had humorously laid a pencil next to it. He said, I rushed back to my jail cell. I wrote every scripture reference, every Bible verse, every story, every song I could recall. He filled both sides of the paper with as much Bible as he could, and when the jailer found it, that was it. He was threatened with execution, he was beaten, he was drugged from his cell, and he was drugged down the corridor into the center of the prison. But the strangest thing happened. Before they reached the door leading to the courtyard, the place of his execution, 1,500 hardened criminals who all knew what was about to happen stood at attention by their beds in their cells. They faced the east, and they began to sing. Hmm. Dimitri said it sounded like the greatest choir in all of human history. 1,500 criminals raised their arms and began to sing the heart song that they'd heard him sing to Jesus every morning all those years. And Dimitri's jailers instantly released their hold of his arms, stepped away from him in terror. One of them demanded to know, who are you? And Dimitri straightened his back and stood as tall and as proud as he could. And he responded, I am a son of the living God and Jesus is his name. Stand, Christian, stand. The answer is not in the removal of the pain. It is in having the strength given by God to stand. Sometimes he takes it away, sometimes he doesn't. But he always says, stand, for I am with you. Our enemy is defeated, so we will not fear. Our enemy is defeated, and we will not be silent. Our enemy is defeated, and we will bring a a war of kindness and goodness, not of hatred and deceit. We will not pick up the weapons of the enemy. We instead will pick up the weapons of the Spirit spelled out in Ephesians 6 and practice in the book of Acts. Are you listening to me this morning? We will not stop praying. We will not stop rejoicing. We will not stop weeping. We will not stop speaking. And we will prevail 
Because we look to and we follow our king and our king has defeated him, our king will defeat him, and our king is even now defeating him right here today. And the most amazing thing of all is that he is doing it through you. Oh, Christian, sing with me. Isaac. His name's Christian, too. When peace like a river 